This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What do we do with our pain? What does it look like to heal from our pain and allow that to create a space to connect more deeply with others, love people well, and make a difference in the world? Brandy Lee has modeled that for me like nobody else. And I am so excited to have her on the podcast today. Brandy Lee is a mother living in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and she loves people in such incredible ways. She's the co-founder of a nonprofit called Beauty for Ashes Uganda, which works toward long-term sustainable development and deep healing for single mothers and widows in a particular region of Uganda. And I love that this is her organization's mission to support these particular women because she actually co-founded it shortly after she became a single mother herself. Her organization is centered around mutually transformative relationships. And because of that, Brandy and all of the organization's supporters in the United States are building genuine relationships with these mothers in Uganda. And I got to experience this firsthand when I traveled to Uganda with her a few years ago. In this episode, we dove into so much. Oh my goodness, it was so full of wisdom. We discussed Brandy's experiences with trauma and what her path towards healing has looked like. We discussed what it means to run an organization that's focused on mutually transformative relationships instead of just kind of a top-down structure. And there was also a good amount of talk about how faith plays into all of this. And I'll just say that as a person of faith who comes from the Christian faith tradition, I honestly find myself becoming pretty cynical about how other people uh, in my same world of things express their faith, especially kind of in 2017, 2018. I don't know if that's healthy or not, but that's just the reality of how I felt. But I have always found Brandy to be somebody who expresses her faith in in such a genuine way. And that's why I thought that this episode might be an especially great episode to air on Christmas Eve. And so I'm so excited for you to get to meet Brandy. I've learned so much from her and I'm so inspired by the work that she's doing and how she's going about it. And I have a feeling that you are going to come away from this episode feeling the same way that I do. I am Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. Sounds Good is not your typical three steps of success podcast. We don't host this podcast for the sake of leaving you with bullet points on self-improvement. We just believe that our lives are more complex than that. And so we show up here on Sounds Good to ask big questions, to dive into nuance and learn from each other's stories. So without any further ado, let's jump straight into this conversation. Welcome to Nashville. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Um, Sitting on your couch. Sitting on my couch. We, okay, so how long have we known each other? I was thinking about this this morning. 
Since 2014. 2014, when I went to Uganda with you. Yes, you she's and like, Sammy, and you like, were just dating at the time. We were just dating at the time. Man, that's so wild. And I love that we were complete strangers, and then it was like, oh, yeah, I'll get on a plane to Uganda with you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's just completely natural. Yeah. Like, those of us who love social media, we're like, no, we have actual friends via yeah. Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. So it's totally normal for me to meet lifelong friends in the Amsterdam airport <laughs> yes. on the way to Uganda. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Amsterdam airport where relationships are, are, are forged. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's amazing. Okay. So you live in Colorado. You're visiting Nashville right now. Yep. And um, I'm in Colorado Springs. How long have you been in Colorado? Since January of 2010. Wow. Okay. So almost eight years. I moved there from Florida. Okay. And I thought, like, I'm a beach girl. I am. I don't know if I'm even going to like Colorado. You grew up in Florida. Yeah. Okay. And I went to school in West Palm Beach, like right on the ocean. Oh, my goodness. And so I did not know what I was going to think about Colorado. That's Turns funny. out I am a mountain girl. Really? Oh, my gosh. Like, I love it. Do you feel like you were a mountain girl all along and you just mm-hmm. didn't? Wow. I did because I love being outside. Yeah. And in Colorado, we have 300 days of sunshine a year. And I live in the Springs, Colorado Springs. And so it's right there at the Front Range. And so we can see the mountains, but we don't get a crazy amount of snow. So I can like run in a tank top in the morning and pick my kids up in a snowstorm. That's Or vice wild. versa. <laughs> and so it's perfect weather. And everywhere you go, there's a view. So I grew up in Florida where you pay for a view. Like you are seeing something beautiful because either somebody has a really nice house on a lake or you're at the beach and so you're at a hotel. So views equaled like cost in my head. Interesting. And then I moved to Colorado and I'm like, my kid's school has a view of Pikes Peak. Like the Goodwill has a view of Pikes Peak. (laughs) Like what is this life? What brought you to Colorado besides just the fact that you're, you were destined to be a mountain girl? Right. God brought me to Colorado. Um, actually, I moved out there because I was working for an orphan care organization Okay, that was based in Colorado. Got it. it okay. So because I know you because of the current work that you do in right. Uganda, but I guess I hadn't really thought about the work you had done before that. So you did that orphan care work. Before that, were you doing anything in the social impact space? No. Before that, and I kind of even stumbled into that. I think it's always hard to say where it started because, yeah. like, did it start when you had a job? Did it start when you volunteered? Did it start when the dream was birthed in your heart yeah. when you were, like, five years old and you began to dream of Africa? Because I kind of think that's where it started, honestly. Interesting. Really? Like, if I went back, I, like, other little girls dream of, like, I don't know, Prince Charming and white castles or white picket fences. And I dreamt of mud huts and thatched roofs and Africa and the world. Where did that vision come from? Were you, like, reading National Geographic or? Basically, yeah. So I loved to read as a kid, and my parents had a rule. And so the rule was I could read one Nancy Drew book because I loved the mystery. And then I had to read a missionary novel in between every Nancy Drew book. And so what are missionary novels? Is this like a thing? I think so. Like it's like biographies of missionaries around the world. It's not like a series or. No, no, no. Okay. But I got to read about all of these amazing people around the world. And I totally fell in love with the world. With different cultures and every book, it'd be like, that's where I'm going to live when I grow up. Papua New Guinea or, 
usually Papua New Guinea and Africa, honestly. <laughs> like those were the the two places that caught my heart. But I also think I fell in love with people who had big dreams, who served the poor, and who believed for miracles. I remember this one, I can't even remember who the missionary was, like somebody in I think Great Britain or something. Okay. And they had like an orphanage, I think. And he had no money. And he didn't fundraise. So he was like basically the opposite of me now. But he would actually sit the kids down at dinner and they would pray and thank God for dinner. And there would be no food in the house. And when he said amen, somebody would knock on the door with dinner. And I remember reading that story and being so amazed and being like, I want to have that kind of faith. Like, I want to believe for really big things in this world, and I want that to be my life one day, which is funny, because now I think of the times when I have to believe for really big things, I'm like, I want to hide (laughs) under a chair and cry, but I also, like, that is who I want to be in the world. Yeah. So, it's a both and. (laughs) Do you feel like you maintained that same posture or that same dream through like, you know, between the ages of like you reading those novels and then you moving to, you know, start this organization. No, not at all. That's what was so funny because I feel like that's usually the case where it's like, oh, I remember I had that spark, but it but I don't know where it went. Something else happened and then it went away. Exactly. And I did nothing. I didn't go on my first like out of the country trip, international trip until I went to pick up my son in Liberia in 2007. Really? Yeah. So I was oh. 26 years old at that time. Dang. Okay. So how, when did you get married? For the first time. For the first time. Right. I got married when I was 19. So I grew okay. up good little Christian girl. Like, <laughs> I would hate the person I was today. <laughs> um, I had a lot of rules. I had a lot of boxes. And I had all of the answers. Really? Oh, yes. You're welcome. A lot of rules, a lot of boxes, a lot of answers. Yes. All the answers, Ugh. no matter what. I, I don't was... even recognize that person. Right. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Oh, my gosh. And got married at 19. I did I Kiss Dating Goodbye as a oh my goodness. teenager. Yes. Oh, my gosh. The people who know what we're talking about right now are crying for me on the inside. And I was just the little rule follower girl and got married at 19 and right after my second year of college, dropped out of college because that's what good little Christian girls oh, do no. is they just follow their husbands. Um, and I did do work over those next 10 years. I worked in the inner city and I ran programs at the church and I had a heart for people, but I think I maybe didn't understand people as well, if that makes any sense. Interesting. Because I had all the answers, right? So I wanted to help people, but I wanted to help them. You were you were reaching down uh, from your yes. like pedestal. Yes. Saying, I, I can help you. Right. And I didn't, I don't think I even knew that I was doing yeah. that. And, it, and that's not poorly intentioned either. No. I really loved people. I loved people and I have parents who love really, really well. And love extravagantly. And so they had modeled that for me. But I didn't know suffering. Hmm. I knew love, but I didn't know suffering. How do you think that you had escaped suffering for so long? By not realizing it. (laughs) (laughs) Like by not having open eyes, maybe. That, And then I, when I was 29, I got divorced. 
uh, right actually after we had moved to Colorado, eight months after I moved to Colorado. And so I had left everything and uh, got divorced and lost everything. My world just utterly crashed around me. You're in a new place. Yep. Your relationships probably, everybody that you know right. is some to some degree connected with that marriage. Yep. How, how old were your kids? Four, five, and six. Wow. So I have babies at home. I am a brand new single mama. I have uh, pretty severe PTSD. And I lose all of my friends, literally. And my world just crashed around me. And honestly, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Because I, I began to know suffering. And I knew what it was like. I knew, I now know what devastation is like. I know what pain so deep that it takes your breath away is like. I know what it's like to, to wish I could commit suicide. I, I was never something I really um, contemplated, but I was angry that I wasn't allowed to because mm. I had kids. And so I knew I wouldn't, but I also just felt utter hopelessness. I felt so broken that I thought, that I could never be put back together again. And I had people telling me that that was true. I had people telling me that I was worthless. I had people telling me that I had done the wrong thing. And that, and all along, I feel like I'm following God. And I'm, I'm doing what I need to do for health and wholeness. And yet, it's devastating and I'm losing everything. And so that next year... I did healing work like it was my job. <laughs> like I do everything like it's my job. I'm kind of an extreme person. You do everything like it's your job, but you also don't get paid for nearly enough for any of the things. <laughs> yeah. I tell my kids that we're poor on purpose. <laughs> and they're like, huh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> like, hey, Medicaid, yay. Free lunch for your kids. Woo. Love public schools. And I just attacked healing. Like I read through my Bible three times in that first year which I know is not actually what a lot of people who are suffering have a lot of wounding around that and can't even touch their Bibles. And I totally understand that too. But for me, that's what I did. And I went to like multiple therapy, like and two did, counselors <laughs> twice a week. Like, and I would go into my therapist. I'm basically a therapist's dream because I'm like, let's go to the deepest, darkest thing. Like and That's terrifying to me. Right. <laughs> Yeah, because you're a seven yeah. in the Enneagram. And so you want to avoid the pain. I want to avoid like, pain and seek pleasure. Right. I'm an achiever. So I'm a two, a three wing. So that three wing is like high enough that I will like, I'm going to do a really good job at healing. Yes. You've taught me so much about the importance of going to those places, but I don't naturally do it without yeah. somebody modeling it. But, well, but how did you know? Like, what did you just know at your core that's what you needed? Or because you had had all the answers for years and now you have all the questions. Like, right. how did you make that transition? Well, I lost everything. Yeah. So like I guess ev all of my boxes were smashed. Huh. And I actually teased that not only did I find freedom from oppression, but I feel like God did too. <laughs> like, he <laughs> came out of all the boxes I had put him in. Too, and I began to read my Bible, and I was like, whoa, Jesus was pretty scandalous. Like, he made some decisions that other people would not agree with. Like, I would have been called in front of the church council for that. And I began to find God in the margins. And I began to find solace in the margins. 
And I began to find healing in a place that others had told me I couldn't find healing. And I began, I don't know, to grow and to heal and to learn. And I think what it did is it gave me a passion for people who were suffering because now I actually understood suffering. And so I knew that someone who's in the midst of trauma and chaos and healing from brokenness, like they don't need my trite answers because people gave me all those answers that I had been given people. And I was like, well, that's crap. <laughs> like, what the crap? What are you saying to me? Like, that is worthless. And so I got to see how worthless it was, like, because it didn't work. And what did work is when people drew near. And I read the book, You Love Henry Nowen, right? No, I, <gasps> I've, ne I've never read Henry Nowen. What in the world? Okay, so Henry Nowen is my dead author crush. Okay. I mean, I know a lot of people at C.S. Lewis, but mine's Henry Nowen. Great. So I adore him. And he wrote this book called Turn My Morning Into Dancing. Hmm. And it is the most gentle portrayal of suffering I have ever read. And he talks about being healed right there in the dust. Like, I think a lot of people told me at the time, like, oh, your beauty comes from ashes and he'll turn your morning into dancing. And it felt like a command to get up and dance when all of my bones were broken. It felt like sometimes when people offered hope that it was a command to be there in 30 minutes or less. And that instead of just entering into my suffering and waiting for the healing to happen, somebody was like trying to force it on me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so I think what I learned is the value and the sacredness in the suffering. And I went back to stories even in the Bible like Lazarus. Lazarus is my favorite story because here like it was like supposedly Jesus's best friend, right? And he dies and Jesus shows up and Mary and Martha, I think, are the ones who meet him there. And they're basically like, where the hell were you? Like, what the crap were you doing if you'd been here? And so I love that because they're angry and they are just like pissed and they have questions and they have doubt. And he just welcomes that. And I think so many times people are like, mm, you can't question anything. And that's just crap. And then they go to the tomb and they cry together. And Jesus knows full well he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Knows that full well, I think. I mean, I assume that, like, that's what I've been taught. And But he doesn't say to them, like, what the crap are you crying for? Like, stop your crying. Good things are going to happen. <laughs> no, he cries with them. And I think too often we're afraid to go to the tomb because it's smelly there and it's, like, gross and people have doubts when they're suffering and there's weeping and we don't have answers and all of this. And yet the tomb is where the dead are brought to life. And I think if you want to see Lazarus miracles, you got to hang out at the tomb. And that's what I learned. Like I learned in my own life that the miracle of me, like finding myself and finding my value and doing all of this deep healing work to uncover my brokenness and to realize my own belovedness and then be who I was created to be, that came from the tomb places. And it gave me a passion to go to the tomb with other people. 
whether that is the women that we serve in Uganda or whether that is the newly widowed friend I have who lives in my neighborhood. Like I can go to the tomb places with people because I believe that that is where the dead are brought to life. And so your whole world... That, we really jumped into it, didn't we? Sorry. I know. No, I love this. <laughs> this is what I love about you is that you jump into it. And I, I just sit here and soak and learn so much. And, and so I have questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I've, I've figured all this out. So you lose everything. And everything. that's what enables you to understand suffering. What if you want to go to the tomb, but maybe you feel like you haven't suffered? I mean, you just laughed at me. So I just, I want, you, I want you to correct me in whatever way I was just wrong. I think everybody suffered. Yeah. Okay. So I think, okay. I believe, I believe that we always have lies being spoken over us and that that is true in big moments and it's true in small moments. So we can recognize it really easily in big moments, right? Like I lose everything. I get divorced. I'm crushed. I lose all my friends. Like, obviously, lots of lies being spoken over us. I would say we have an enemy who's speaking lies over us, right? That's kind of my Christianese. But if somebody doesn't come from that that background, like, I think you can still see that there are lie messages that are spoken over Mm -hmm. us, right? Whatever, however you want to phrase that. Um, So it's easy to see in big things. But I honestly think that that's happened for all of us, like it happens on the playground when you're five years old and, you know, the person, kid doesn't want to play with you and you begin to think like, oh, nobody wants to play with me. I'm not cool enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not wanted. I'm not loved. I'm not protected. Whatever it is, we all have wounding. And so I think it's not that I had been protected from suffering at any point. It's that my eyes weren't open to my own suffering. And so I think all of us, when somebody is like, well, when people say like, I want to, I want to go to the tomb places, right? Like I want to change the world. Really? My first answer is like, okay, go to therapy, right? Interesting. Like go deep inside yourself and do your own work. And so what I'm hearing is you have, you have these big things. Right. And, and I guess that's where my question was, was it's like, okay, what if I haven't experienced any of those big things or very many of those big things um, or as many big things as you have or somebody else has or whatever. But what you're saying is we all have those little things. Yeah. We all have. And we have to uncover it. Yep. And you have to get into a healthier place to some degree to be able to recognize those things. I think so. Like it just takes some curiosity, right? Mm, We love curiosity here. I love curiosity. (laughs) Uh, Partly I think because I wasn't for so long. Like I just had answers answers and not questions. And now I'm seeing such value in the questions. And how do we uncover that? And I wonder what that means. And, And even if it hasn't happened to you, like how do you wonder what that does to somebody else? the effects on somebody. Like how do we ask those questions as opposed to approaching life with answers? And so in this moment, I'm like leaning back in my chair. I'm like in counseling right now. (laughs) Um, And and by the way, I started going to counseling because of you. I'm so proud of you. You like talked me in. You like, you you didn't talk me into it. You modeled it for me and you helped me see that it was something that I could do without experiencing some heavy deal of trauma. Or at least not knowingly or whatever it is. Right? Exactly. Um, well, I believe everybody should be in therapy. Yeah. Oh, like, it's... I'm like a therapy Nazi. Yeah. 
Oh my at least for a time. Or read a crap ton of Brene Brown. <laughs> like, <laughs> read everything Brene Brown has written, and it's like therapy. I, I have an admission bucks. to make. My what? my therapist, you're going to hate this. My therapist told me, like, in counseling, he's like, you you need to read this Brene Brown book. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And then I knew that it would be hard, and I haven't gotten around to doing <gasps> it yet, and it's been like a year. Except for the fact that you're going to love it. I No, I know I'm going to love it. I love Brene Brown. Yes. I've, like, listened to every podcast she's done. I've read, or I've, like, watched her TED Talk, like, all yeah. the things. But I'm like, this book is going to wreck me. It and really so, is. And well, so you know I'm what my life so goal excited. is, right? What? My life goal is to be what the love child of Brene Brown and Jimmy Fallon would be like. <laughs> Just like really deep, but utterly ridiculous. <laughs> wow. That's, I mean, you're, you're past the start for sure. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I highly value both of those things, like going to the tomb and doing deep, hard soul work and also just having loads of fun that's amazing and goofiness and all that's that kind of playing stuff. beer pong with celebrities on television <laughs> yes right water war is my favorite that he plays so good yeah oh, man i i'll stop talking about how much i love uh jimmy late Fallon. night television in general but oh right um so so you do this work if you do this work or if one does this work this inner work healing work learning yeah. about yourself and coming to terms with suffering it builds a sense of empathy Maybe walk me through this process of you have a new widow on you know, on your street, or you have you know somebody that you know you, you you just meet somebody who is also experiencing suffering, and they need someone to be there. Is it a natural pull then, because you've done this work, to go to them, or is it still work and a choice and difficult? If that makes sense, for me or for anybody, uh, both. Okay, because I think that might differ in personality, yes. right? That so I don't want to answer as if I'm every person because yeah. a lot of people are very different from me. Uh, for me, it is natural. I really believe that healing begets healing. So we all know that phrase like hurt people hurt people. Yes. And that is true. Like every single one of us, every person listening, all of us, we have experienced hurt people hurt people. But the really fun thing is that that's not where the story ends. Because healed people are a part of healing people. And mm. free people, free people. And loved people, love people. And it just goes on and on. And so I think who we are will spill out into the world. And it can't help but do that. And so when we do healing work, we exude healing. And so we were talking earlier about how what we want to be when we grow up. I don't even think it was when we were recording or anything, <laughs> but like how you wanted to be a fireman, yes. right? You had a fireman party when you were little, right? And the fireman came and you got to hold the hose, and, <laughs> right? It was huge, wasn't it? Was it amazing. Like one of your only childhood memories. <laughs> you really remember that. And I think that's true for all of us, that all of us were born. I wanted to be like this missionary in Africa and you wanted to be a fireman. And if you go into a preschool or a kindergarten class, Everybody wants to be a fireman, a teacher, a doctor, right? Because we are created with this inmost thing about wanting to be a helper in the world. We all have this desire to be restorers, redeemers, and rebuilders in a broken world. And then we lose it somewhere along the way. And we think like, well, that's just dead. Or like, that was just as a kid. Yeah. That's all I knew. Or you do the thing where it's like, 
oh, I'll just make a bunch of money doing this other thing, and then I'll I'll give the money to people who are doing that. Well, I actually like people like that. No, no, I like. Not- <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think it's amazing. Right, we need people that do that. But I do think that then we we don't know how to do it. Like yes. Well, I wanted to be a fireman when I was little, and I wanted to help people. But now I'm a banker, so what do I do with that? Now I'm a waitress. Now I'm a flight attendant. Now I'm an accountant. Whatever it is, we don't think it fits in. And so for me, I found a lot of learning in Isaiah 61 in the Bible. So it talks that we're Beauty for Ashes. So my organization is called Beauty for Ashes Worldwide. And it comes from this and it talks about how, and he will give a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then it goes on. It says, and they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of, for the Lord for the display of his splendor. And it goes on to this next part. It says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the places that have been devastated for generations. And you read that part and everybody's like, oh my gosh, I want to do that, right? Who doesn't want to rebuild and restore and renew places that have been devastated for generations, right? Like that calls upon the five-year-old in you. Totally. I want to be a teacher, a doctor, a fireman. I want to be a rebuilder, a restorer, a renewer. But the they who gets to do that are the ones who receive beauty for their ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And so what I really believe is that we, if we want to rebuild and restore and renew a broken world, we have to go back to our ashes. We have to go back to our despair. And it is there when we do our healing work that we then have the authority to be rebuilders and renewers and restorers in a broken world. Wow. Oh my God. All the, everything is connecting for me, right? And here's the thing. I probably heard you say this on multiple occasions and I love that like this is the time that it clicks right. because also you know sometimes you're you're not ready for yeah. it no and and I probably haven't been in the past but that's it's really interesting because I think that it actually really holds to like the principles of what we're doing with the good newspaper and right. just good 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 where we say hey we're gonna dive into the real messy hope and as a part of that we're not gonna ignore the pain and the heartbreak and injustice in the world right. we're gonna look for the hope within that and we're gonna become the hope within mm-hmm. that and I think that's coming from a place that we all crave. Like, I think that it's really easy to share a viral video of like, oh, here's somebody like doing good, being positive, like happy, happy, happy. But like what we really at our core crave, I think, is to dive into that messiness and that heartbreak and pain and realize that like the heartbreak is real. And like maybe we can sit in that for a moment before we take a step towards hope or take a step towards the future say no this is where we are right now in the pain yep that's why i got that my latest tattoo oh that's so beautiful. on my right forearm i guess i have an ampersand and it's the and symbol because both are true and i think that we are desiring to live fully integrated and so we don't want anybody to invalidate our pain and the messiness it does it's not true to only talk about happy, go lucky. Everything's great. Here are all the answers. But it's also not true to only talk about the pain. Yeah. Right? So both have to be true. It is the both and that grief and gratitude can coexist. That 
beauty and ashes can coexist. And that really, we only truly know either of them if we know both of them. Mm. And that Brene Brown tells us that you cannot selectively numb. And so if I am numb to my own pain, I will be numb also to joy. And I'll be numb to other people's pain. And so it's only when we are fully alive and willing to dive into the depths of pain that we can also experience the heights of joy. I remember this last, I just went to Uganda in September and it was kind of a hard trip. So I have 40 kids there who have lost both of their parents. And so um, the world would classify them as double orphans. We don't use that term because I hate that term with a passion Um, because they call me mama and I have the honor and privilege of loving them like a mama does. And they're all in boarding school now and they have foster families and they're doing really well. But I got to spend a week with my kids in September and two of my kids who I just, they have just crawled into my soul. Like I love these kids. And I found out that their grandpa has been threatening to kill them. And so, you know, everything is different, right? When we really love people. Like when we come close to the suffering, everything changes. And so these kids are my kids. And so their suffering is not like there's some orphan in another country who is threatened, right? Like we know these kind of stories, but these are my kids. Like these are kids who I know their names and I know their stories and I know what they're good at in school and and I love them and I've held their faces and I've told them I love them while tears stream down their faces because they don't know how to accept love yet. And, and so I was there in September and hearing some of their stories and falling more in love with them, which makes their pain more personal to me. And I remember coming home and I was really, really struggling and I went on a camping trip. And the Aspens were turning in Colorado. So it's like literally the most beautiful place in the entire world. And my boyfriend has a razor. Do you know what that is? Like a razor scooter? (laughs) (laughs) No. Like, um, I think it's. A Motorola razor, the really thin phones from the 1990s. (laughs) Yes, he has a flip phone. So super exciting. (laughs) No, it's like a, like a dune buggy maybe is what Uh, you would call it. Like a side by side. So they call it. So okay. it's like two people sit in it yeah. and there's a roll bar over top, but you can go like got 70 it. miles an hour. Okay. Oh. So it's like super fun. So we go out into the mountains and we are doing this razor ride and we're like filthy. We're like covered in dust and going through these aspens and there's 14,000 foot mountains all around us and it's hitting dusk and they are turned pink in the glow of the light. And I am blissfully happy, happy at this moment blissfully happy and immediately what strikes me is had I not allowed myself to experience the pain of last week in Uganda I would not experience the bliss of today that it is being open to either that allows me to experience both Hmm. which can feel like a roller coaster yeah okay like we are really conditioned to only feel one thing or the other, not both. Totally. And so we usually completely deny one thing. So I completely deny your suffering and just be grateful. So find something to be grateful for. Have a gratitude journal, (laughs) which I believe in, 
but also don't deny your suffering. And so it is this learned activity to live in the messy in-between. Glennon Melton, who I adore. Another wonderful right? human. Love to follow her. And she calls it brutal. Yes. Brutal, beautiful life. And how do we allow both to coexist? And I think it is when we can do that in our own lives that we then are open to do it with others around the world or next door to us. Then when we see their pain, we're not afraid of it. Like I'm not afraid of somebody else's tomb because I know resurrection. I know that new life exists on the other side of pain. I know that healing is a thing. I don't think that brokenness is the end. And so I'm not afraid of someone's pain because I've gone to my own. And I'm also not afraid of someone's joy. And so we can live in the both and. I just wanted to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you about the sponsor of this week's episode of Sounds Good, Hover. Hover is the company that makes it easy to buy a domain name for your big idea. Hover also believes the internet has the power to bring change in the world. And when you put those things together, you have something powerful. When you have a passion or idea, a way to bring change into the world, the first and biggest step you should take toward bringing this idea to the internet is to buy a domain name. That's the secret. It's so funny. Anytime that I've had a big idea, I always check and see what names are available. And the great thing about Hover is that you can go on their website, hover.com. You can search for whatever you want your thing to be called and you can just pick out what you need. There's no upsells. The website is clean and easy to use. Uh, all you do genuinely is you search, you buy and boom, you have a domain name and they make it also really, really easy to set up with whatever you want to use to build out your website. You're already ready to share your idea with the world. For listeners of Sounds Good, Hover is offering 10% off your first purchase when you visit hover.com slash sounds good. Just visit hover.com slash sounds good today to save 10% on your domain name and to help support this podcast. Hover, making it easy to bring your passions and ideas to life for the sake of changing the world. Okay, now back to the rest of our conversation. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. And right. <laughs> so you you're you're experiencing questions, getting healing, you're going through this process. At what point do you think, you know what, I want to invest all of my money and energy and resources and time and everything into a few villages in Uganda. Like how does I this don't come about? Ever think that. I would imagine no, not. like it, it nobody it, should. Right? It's all accidental. Yes. Okay, so I'm doing healing work and then the first thing that happens is that other women start to come to me. So women who are newly single moms, women who are leaving um, unhealthy places in their life and seeking healing. And so they start to kind of show up on my doorstep, sometimes literally. <laughs> like I had one friend who I didn't even know her and she kind of showed up in my life. I ended up helping move her across the country um, as a stranger. It was just hilarious. But broken people started to um, recognize that they were safe around me. And so that's the first thing that started happening. And so I started, began to just get to share my healing journey, right? Not as a healer, not as somebody who has answers, but as a fellow sojourner. Mm. Like, yeah, I get brokenness because I've experienced brokenness too. And 
you are loved, you are worth loving, speaking belovedness over people. And then about a year later, my friend in Uganda, Akwango and Grace. And how did you have a friend in Uganda? Because most people don't have a friend in Uganda. Right. So you know. (laughs) Because I had been there in 2008. Oh, with that organization you were with. Right, with another organization. And so then when I got divorced, lost everything. Yes. Because everybody in Uganda now has Facebook. Right. (laughs) When I went to, I have so many Facebook friends from like all of my trips to Africa where I'm like, okay, wait, what what year did I meet? You know, it's it's amazing. Exactly. And so, and Anne and I had been very good friends. Her husband actually directed the other program. And so they are brilliant Ugandans who do amazing, like magical work. And I met her. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. She's phenomenal. And so really from the time I got divorced, she was like, great. Now you and I can start something. And I was like, nope, (laughs) I am not interested. I love that she had that vision. Oh yeah. She's way smarter than I am. And so for about a year, she kept asking me, do you want to do something? Do you want to do something? And my answer was always, no, I don't want to do anything because I don't want to start a nonprofit. I was very kind of wounded and afraid of the nonprofit space. And I believed that I couldn't be used anymore because that's what I had been told. Mm. Couldn't be used for good in the world anymore. I had experienced too much brokenness. And so then I read the book Half the Sky by Nick Kristoff. Have you read this book? I love Nick Kristoff. I don't know if I have read his book. Okay, so he's a New York Times columnist, for those who don't know. And this is a Pulitzer Prize winning book. I think you might have to, if you're like Googling it, I think it's Nicholas Kristoff. I don't know if he goes by Nick or Nicholas. And he's phenomenal. And he wrote this book called Half the Sky about the oppression of women worldwide. So it's not like a light read or no. anything. Like it's, but it's, whoa. it's groundbreaking in its groundbreaking. time. Groundbreaking. And Pulitzer and, Prize winning. Yeah, they ended still. up doing a documentary about it and everything. And he goes through like this, I think it's six major issues women face in the world. Like everything from bride burning in India to female genital mutilation in Kenya to whatever it is. And he talks about the need to empower women on the ground. So he talks about sort of like grassroots efforts, what can like normal everyday people do and what like treetop, like what political things. And I kind of ignored all of that. Yeah. Right. Because I'm like, I am a poor single mom. Like, <laughs> I just need to listen to the the baseline. And so he talks about empowering women and that what changes when you put women in women's cooperatives, he talks about. So when you go into the developing world and you find 30 or 50 or whatever size it is, a group of women who will meet weekly to encourage each other. And then what they do is they pool their own resources. Mm. So they like each bring money, right? So eventually we started in Uganda and they each bring like 15 cents a week and they start a fund when they all pool their money and then these women can give each other loans. And so Nick Kristoff is talking about this idea did of he women's cooperatives. Did he create this idea or did no. he, discuss, he like stumbled across it? It was Lots of people do okay. cooperatives across the world. Okay. Yeah, like it's like a, a thing. It's a thing. Right? Okay, so he's, just, he's writing about it. It's what introduces you to the idea. Yeah, he's writing about how do we empower women? How do women empower each other? How do we partner with them, all of that. And I think it's just brilliant, but like just continue on in my everyday life, right? Like most of us do when we read about people doing awesome things. We're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I now learned a thing. That's amazing. (laughs) And he talked about sending girls to school 
like talked about how girls in sub-Saharan Africa have less than a 20% chance of attending secondary school and how if we really educated Africans, then they would have the resources to change their own countries. And I was just enthralled with his writing. And because he's a, a New York Times columnist, he's like been across the world. So he had a yes. story for everyone too. And it's just fascinating. So then Anne calls again. And says, we should start something. And I'm like, I don't want to start anything. I don't want to start a nonprofit. And I'm not used in that way anymore. God doesn't want to use me. And she says, well, but I wanted to do these women's cooperatives. And I was like, okay, well, I definitely think you should do that. Because I just read about them. And I heard they're really amazing. <laughs> and he said, she said, I want to buy them cows. This is how it all began. Because huh. she wanted to give these women assets. So it could change their life. It could change their outlook if they had an asset. They have something to believe in. They believe that they're worth something. And I'm going to put them in women's cooperatives. I'm going to find 30 single moms or widows in a village. And a single mom in Uganda is a woman who's never been married. So a lot of them are treated a lot like a teen mom would be oh, got it. here in the U.S. What is it called when you, like, if somebody is divorced or something? Is that... Divorce. Okay, just divorce. Okay. <laughs> but it's not a single mom. Right. Like okay. they would just consider me a divorced mom. Got it. Or woman, something like that. And so she said, I want to do cows. And I said, Well, I don't want to start a nonprofit, but I will send you all of the money I have in my bank account for cows. And so I checked my bank account and I had a thousand dollars in my savings account. <laughs> right. More than I since had. And so I <laughs> I sent her a thousand dollars and the next uh, week she posted pictures of cow delivery day and all of the mamas like ay, 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 ay! and they're like cheering and I'm like that's great and I had a friend who said she wanted to buy a couple cows and so we sent the money and then Anne calls and she says the moms of Angora Tuck Village appreciated that so much she sent me their stories these profiles of these women and these the horrible things that had happened to them and how resilient they were and it was amazing she said and now we need three more cows. I was like, literally, Anne, I sent you all of my money. Like, <laughs> actually all of my money. I don't have any more money. She said, I know. You're supposed to raise the money like you used to. And honestly, my heart just sunk. Like, I was like, this is not happening. I said, I, I can't, Anne. Like, I don't have a voice anymore. It had only been a year since my life had crashed and I had lost everything and I didn't believe anybody would listen or that I had a voice worth hearing. And she said, but the women of Angora talk, they need you. So you need to at least try. <sighs> like, I think I grumbled. And I was like, fine. <laughs> and so I posted a status on, a, I think it was a Wednesday night on Facebook saying I need three people to buy cows at $200 a piece. And I went to bed pretty sure I'd wake up the next morning with more evidence to prove that the lies were true, right? And instead, I woke up the next morning and five people wanted to buy cows. Oh, my goodness. So I call Anne and I'm like, okay, fine. So you were right. And <laughs> I did get those three cows sponsored, but there are two more people who want to buy cows. Like, do you want me to just ask again and see if more people want to buy cows? Do you want to have a second women's cooperative? And she was like, yeah, let's just keep going until it stops. So <laughs> that was 2011. And 
now, just about seven years later, we have 38 women's cooperatives. Oh, my goodness. And 1,183 single moms and widows in our program. Wow. So we tease that we're not an organization. We're an act of love gone awry. <laughs> like we never intended to do this, but we fell in love. We fell in love with our hurting world, and we met these amazing women who had been through everything. I mean, the LRA and Joseph Coney went through our villages in 2003 and they were utterly devastated. And I would say most of our moms became a mom before the age of 15. So some of their own volition, many not of their own volition. Like these are women who have experienced suffering and abandonment and abuse and brokenness so deep that it took their breath away. And I recognized that in them as something I had experienced too. And so there was this kinship and this sisterhood of what does it look like to survive? What does it look like to fight for hope and to fight for joy and to fight for healing? And I wanted to be a part of them getting to fight, getting to fight for joy. And I wanted to be a part of them recognizing their own belovedness, some for the first time, and knowing that they are loved and that they are worth loving. And we don't just love them because we're good people, <laughs> but because they're legit worth loving. And so that kind of kind of spiraled and all of our programs have come because we've seen need. And so now the base of our program is still the cooperatives and the 30 women meeting weekly to encourage and empower each other and to pool their own resources. So they're giving each other loans to start their businesses, which I love. That's so cool. And then our, um, our next thing that I am obsessed with is now we have Literacy Plus classes. So most of our moms didn't get to go to school, not even primary school. Like they were not allowed to go to school a day in their life. And when you start to think about it, what does it look like to be a grown up in the world and not be able to write your own name, not be able to read, to take your kid to the doctor, but not to know what the papers say, to not to know what the medicine says, to read directions, to not know what your kid's homework says. We had one mom who was kidnapped and taken to the North and couldn't get home because she couldn't read road signs. Hmm. right? Like you yeah. don't even think about what does it mean to Truly. not be able to read and then take that a step further. What does it mean to not be able to do math? When you're bringing your corn, they call it maize there, but when you're bringing your maize to the market and not to know math, that these women would not, first of all, not know how many ears of corn they had brought to the market. So they don't know how well their business is doing. And then they would literally sell their corn and they would put out an a hand to their customer and the customer would put money in their hand and take money out of their hand to make their own change. Let's guess how many people were like honest about that. <laughs> None of them, right? So they're being cheated every day. And so now we've started Literacy Plus programs. So they're learning reading, writing, basic math, hygiene and sanitation, agriculture, business, family planning, parenting, everything in these classes. And the moms are saying, like, we feel like schoolgirls now. <laughs> they want uniforms. A couple of the groups have, like, made themselves uniforms. That's amazing. Cutest thing in all the world. So and cute. there is nothing more sacred than watching a 65-year-old woman write her name in the dirt for the first mm. time. 
I mean, just destroy me right now. I am <laughs> done for. Uh. And so now the moms are learning all of that and they're starting their businesses. There was a mom who told me recently that somebody tried to cheat her in the market. And she was like, I told him, I actually know math and I know that you're trying to cheat me and that's not what I deserve. Uh. <laughs> and I was so proud of her, but I was so proud that she knew the math, but I was even more proud that she knew she was worth standing up for. Yes. That she knew she was loved and worth loving and that it wasn't okay for somebody to treat her that way. Oh, my dear. I'm so happy. And so then we also recognized that we needed to do some, we call it intentional aid that empowers. We want to do empowerment and teaching, but there are some things that can't wait. And sending our mom's kids to school is one of those things. And so we have a school fees program. So we have a thousand kids in our school fees program that are going to secondary school and vocational school. So that is super fun to get to send our mom's kids to school. And they, our moms earn that for their kids by going to literacy classes. Amazing. That's so that really they're cool. the ones doing it for their kids. And it's, and that's beautiful because it's, it's breaking the cycle of, of poverty because these kids are going off to school. But also at the same time, it's not saying, oh, we're just going to deal with the next generation. You're also dealing with the current generation. You're saying right. well, everybody's getting empowerment. Like, this is amazing. And we're not the hero of the story. Yes. So the moms are the ones who are earning this to send their kids to the yeah. school. So the kids still honor their moms in that. It's not like the great white savior coming in. Exactly. And, ugh, I hate that. Well, and this is something that you're super intentional about, this process of, of yeah, of course, the U.S., we have money, we have resources. We want to be able to give those things, but it's not, it's not a top-down situation. It's relational, and you've been so intentional with relationships. Well, one of our core values is that we believe in mutually transformative relationships. Mm, that's a great phrase. Isn't mutually it? Mutually transformative yeah. relationships. Yep. And we believe we're fellow sojourners. And so there's kinship. There's kinship in the suffering. There's kinship in the struggle. And there's kinship in the healing. And so how do we do that? And we... When we get close to the poor, when we get close to the brokenhearted, wherever you might find them, we are changed in the process. Both of us are changed. And that's the key. And then it's about, these are women are my sisters and they're my moms. They are not the poor that we are helping. They are people we are in actual relationship with. Mm. And so when people come to us and they want to sponsor a mama, that's what we tell them. Like, this is your new sister. <laughs> like, let's have relationship. Come, come to Uganda. And we even say that our trips, I go three times a year now. And we say our trips are not work trips. Like, we're not there to paint another school building. Because we could hire a Ugandan to paint that school building. We don't need to be the ones coming to do it. I'm not even that good of a painter. I don't know why <laughs> anybody would want me painting a school building. I could do, like, the walls. But if you ask me to cut in, yep. you're just screwed. And so I could paint a professional, I could hire a professional Ugandan to paint. How about when we go on trips, what we do is we celebrate. How about we grow in relationship? We get to go and we get to celebrate what the mamas are already doing. And then we get to learn from them and grow with them. And I think that changes everything. Because then we're in relationship. And it's not top down. It is not, these aren't people who need me. We need each other. We need each other for very different reasons. But I think that the moms in Uganda have changed my life 
for sure as much as I've been involved in changing theirs. And I think that's such a novel approach to this. And it shouldn't be. But I think, you know, all too often when we, when we think about the developing world, we think about, oh, we're trying to bring those people up to where we are. And it's just, you know, I have so much to give and so much to offer. But you have, like, your whole life has been changed because of one Ugandan woman and then a bunch more Ugandan women. Yeah. Uh, and you're you're learning and you're growing and you're becoming more connected and whole. Well, and doesn't it go back to that curiosity thing? Like, not yeah. what do I have to give, but what do I have to learn from the world around me? And then there's going to be a giving. There's going to be yeah. a mutual giving where we are both learning from each other. And yes, Americans might have more, or people in the West in general might have more money, but that's what they bring to the table. But what do Ugandans have? Ugandans have a lot more hope. They have a lot more resilience. I remember walking home from a well one day. I had stayed overnight in Odakai Village, and we are walking back from, they had taken me to their, it wasn't even a well. It was a dirty water source. I climbed down five feet into the ground, like with my back on one side of the hole and my feet on the other, and we're like shimmying down to get this dirty water. And this is what they're going to bathe their kids in. And this is what they're going to drink. And we are walking back to their village with our pots on our head. Although mine was like tiny because they know like I'm a weakling and they have these like (laughs) massive pots on their heads because they're strong and amazing. And so we're walking back and I am fighting, honestly, on the way back. I'm fighting tears. I'm fighting with the concept of like, why does this exist in the world? I don't want to live. I find myself constantly saying this. I don't want to live in a world where this exists. I don't want to live in a world where this baby girl is on her own. I don't want to live in a world where human trafficking exists and my friends who've endured that. I don't want to live in a world where moms are drinking dirty water and giving it to their babies. And so I'm kind of arguing with that concept and crying. And the woman in front of me, Florence, who's the chairperson for Odakai's Women's Cooperative, she starts singing and she starts singing songs about hope. I met a girl who wanted to kill herself in the song. Their songs are very strange. Sometimes they're like, who sings that? They're, they're uh, holding both the sorrow and the joy yes, at the same time. Yes, they do. Oh, that's such a good way to look at it instead of me being like, that is weird. <laughs> way to bring it around. And so, and I told her, you can have hope is what she starts singing. And I think to myself, I am fighting about your life while you are singing about hope. Should that change everything? And so I think they teach us. Oh my gosh, they teach us. When you hang out with my friend Nora, who lives in Amiria, and she was abducted by the LRA when she was 10 years old. And she lived in captivity with Joseph Coney for four years. I mean, just a story. The things she has told me, I've never actually repeated to another human being because I don't want to give you secondary trauma, which is a whole other podcast about secondary trauma, (laughs) what we suffer when we are suffering with others. But Nora has just, she has suffered the worst kind of things that could ever be suffered in all of the world. And she has seen the worst devastating things. And yet she has the most joy of any person I have ever met. And speaking of 
mutually transformative relationships. Can I tell you the story yes, about Nora? Yes, please, please. Okay, so here's Nora. She's this amazing person. And then I need to tell you about my friend Lindsay, who is an American. And she lived in Michigan, and she really wanted to come to Uganda. She was an advocate, actually, for Nora's village. But she, her daughter, Lola, had had cancer for six years and just wasn't quite better enough. She wasn't well enough for Lindsay to travel. And Lindsay had had this passion. She had lived in Tanzania before, and she really wanted to come to Uganda with us, but just couldn't because Lola wasn't quite better. So I go to Uganda, and I'm talking to Nora in her village. And she says, when is my friend Lindsay going to come and visit me? (laughs) Okay, well, let me tell you about Lindsay. I said, I would love for all of you in Amiria to be praying for Lindsay because she really wants to come to Uganda. But Lola, her daughter, has had cancer, and she's still not quite better. She is in remission, but she's not healthy enough for Lindsay to travel. So the mamas say, yes, yes, we'll pray. But right, like how many times have you heard that, right? You hear somebody's story and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you. I mean, let's all be real. Like how many times do those people like actually legit pray for the person? What do you think, like 5%? Yes. Yeah, tops. (laughs) So fast forward. And on my next trip, Lola's better. And yeah, doing amazing. She has taken a turn for the better. And Lindsay actually gets to come to Uganda and she gets to go meet her village. And so we go into Amuria and they meet us at the road, dancing and singing and stomping in the dirt. And they've got, they've got their skirts on and their instruments and they bring us into the village. And in the midst of all that chaos and everybody singing, Nora comes up to me and she says, where is Lindsay? I need to know about Lola. I need to know about Lola. And I was like, oh my gosh, Lindsay's here. Like, I can't wait to tell you about this, Nora. Lindsay's (laughs) here. And so I I grabbed Nora's hand, this woman who has endured the worst suffering in the world, who has hope beyond hope beyond hope. And I bring her over to Lindsay, this American who has endured some pretty bad suffering, watching her daughter struggle through cancer for six years. And I bring the two together and Nora just starts to cry. And she looks at Lindsay and she said, I can't believe you're here. Since the day I heard about you, every Wednesday I have gone to the church and I have fasted, which can we just stop and talk for a minute about what it means for hungry people to fast for you? Like, For people who only get one meal a day to go without their meal to pray for you is humbling beyond measure. And Nora says, Lindsay, I have fasted and prayed all day long every Wednesday since I have heard about Lola. And Lindsay just, of course, like starts to weep because who offers you that kind of love and devotion and care for your family that they have never met? And in fact, when Lindsay went home, she went back through the medical paperwork and Lola had started getting better the week that Nora had heard about her. And we just sat. And in fact, Lindsay was back in Uganda on one of my recent trips. And we sat and we talked about mutually transformative relationships. Because all of these women in Amuria are talking to Lindsay and to her co-advocate, Britta, for their two villages. And they're like, you have brought us clean water. We know how to write our names now. Like, thank you. You have changed our lives. And Lindsay looks at them and with tears streaming, she says, no, you changed mine. You prayed for my baby girl who was sick and now she is well. And you helped to restore my hope and my joy 
and my meaning because of you. It's beautiful. All of our lives are changed when we're willing to go to our own pain and we're willing to find resurrection. We're willing to find and struggle because that's not like, I never want anybody who's hearing this, if they are in a place of pain and ashes and destruction, like I don't mean like in five minutes you find your resurrection, right? Like you might not find joy today. I mean, you fight for it. You fight for healing. You fight for beauty, whatever that looks like in your life. You fight for new life because you believe that it is a thing. And when we are willing to do that in our own lives, and then when we are willing to do it with others and to go to their tomb and say, I will sit and I will hold you as long as it is hard, all the while telling you, I believe that beauty is coming for you. And we will fight for beauty. Then we get to see it all around. And then going to the tomb, I mean, it's hard and it still sucks. Like, I don't love the fact that I know more rape stories than I can count. I actually tried to count it at one point, And I, I know more stories of horror than I can even remember. But I also know stories of new life. And I have been to the place where the dead are brought to life. And if I look at like the miracles in the Bible, right? Uh, turning water into wine sounds like a freaking good party. Like <laughs> I want to be there for that party. But if I had to choose, I would choose to see the dead brought to life. And yeah, it means hanging out at the tomb. But it also means seeing something that it just can't be described in words. And so that's what I get to do with my life. <laughs> I'm sitting here like speechless, Brady. Like I love, I'm just so inspired by the work that you do and the way that you bring people along for the journey. Like the fact that you invited me like a total stranger and my then girlfriend to like experience this and like have our lives impacted by that in the way that like, I, I love how uh, scrappy you are. Like, <laughs> Like you, you've got like a, a nice website for your organization. You've I mean, got, I designed it myself. Yeah, I mean, it's because you've we got don't like have a marketing these, budget. You've got all these <laughs> things that like do the trick. Uh, but like you move the needle on Facebook posts. Like you yeah. just like you've got like a bunch of Facebook friends who are strangers. You're gonna hit your limit at some point. <laughs> do you know that? Like at one point you're gonna have too many friends that they're gonna kick you off or something. Uh, right. But I, like, but, but yeah, just, no, we raise almost all of our money via Facebook. Yeah. I mean, we are a scrappy little organization. I am the only paid staff in the US. And you just when did you, you just started getting paid what? Like after I got married. Oh yeah. Like within the last two years. <laughs> and I still make like minimum wage. Yeah. My goal is to be the lowest paid executive director of a nonprofit. Like for the rest of our no matter how big we grow, because I want to sacrifice for this. This is my life's work. Like, I want that to sacrifice. Pe- big donors are like, you should get paid more. And I'm like, but I'll just give the money back. So that's <laughs> dumb. Like, why would you give me more money? But yeah, we're a small organization because we believe that every one of us can make a difference. And so we're going to do this in such a way that people are connected to the fact that they're $23 matters, right? Because that's yeah. what it costs to sponsor a mom, $23 a month. And because I was a single mom, I was a poor single mom when I started this. (laughs) And so I know that we can all do our part 
when we just love people well. And so we're not like a flashy organization. Like I don't have a very good website and we don't have amazing marketing materials. Like we are just a ragtag group of people that say you're loved and you're worth loving. And that's true for our moms in Uganda. And it's true for everybody who partners with us. And that's what we just want everybody to know. I love that so much. I just want to wrap with kind of one more question. You know, I think a lot of people are, are leaving this conversation feeling excited, feeling like I felt when I left our first time hanging out where I was like, oh, maybe I should go to counseling now. You know, like, <laughs> like ready to take on my yeah. own journey for the sake of diving into greater pain and greater joy. And for somebody who they just need momentum to get the ball rolling, like what can they do this week? What can they do like in just the next few days to just start that process? Because it will be an ongoing journey forever. But like, I think we're just eager to get started. Yeah. And it's so hard to get started. That's the hardest part. Because... Okay, I would say if you are ready to go to therapy, go on like psychology.com and look it up. Yep. Check out what your insurance provides and who your insurance providers are. I personally recommend EMDR therapy. So find somebody licensed in EMDR. I think it's a brilliant trauma modality. But you have to find who's right for you. And here's the hard part. You might have to go to a couple different counselors. Yep. Which sucks. Yep. Because it means you have to like tell your story from the beginning. It's the worst. Da, 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 da. And so I think so I did whole thirty last year. I know. It's I'm gonna bring it around. This <laughs> doesn't seem like it connects. But everything I read about whole thirty is you have to know your motivation or you're not gonna stick with it. Because it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because some days you just want Chick-fil-A. Yep. <laughs> okay, that's why I no longer do whole thirty, because I really like Chick-fil-A. But It's hard, so you have to know your motivation. So I would say before you even begin, because there are things you can do. You can go on psychology.com. You can call your insurance provider and figure out what therapists, what kind of coverage you have for mental health, all of that. But the first thing you need is you need your motivation. And so if you are somebody who is considering that, I want to just talk to you individually right now. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that you're worth it. You are loved and you are worth loving and you are worth healing. Whether you have just little things that you've never processed or whether you have really big things and you think you're broken, just beyond repair. If you have that pain that is so deep that it takes your breath away, I want you to know I'm sorry. I am sorry for the hard things that have happened to you, that they weren't okay. And I'm sorry for your pain. And you are worth fighting for healing. The world needs you. It needs more people who are fully alive and who have done their healing work and can offer their whole selves to the world. Because remember those dreams you had when you were little? The dreams about how you wanted to be a helper, whether it was a firefighter or a teacher or a whatever it was, you dreamed about changing the world and about rebuilding and restoring broken things. And that dream, it's still true. Right here in your everyday going about life, that can be true. 
And you are worth the commitment and the fight and the work that it takes to heal. And it's not going to be easy, sweet one. It is just not. The tomb sucks. That's why we avoid it. Like it's smelly and there is doubt and there is anger and there is frustration and the resurrection does not come quickly. This is not a sitcom where it is wrapped up in 30 minutes. It takes long, deep, hard, sometimes devastating work to uncover all of the lies and to replace them with truth. But you are worth it. I want you to write that down. I want you to write it on your mirror, (laughs) write it in your journal. I want you to set a reminder to tell you every day on your phone that you are worth the fight and you are worth the effort. And maybe, just maybe, that will allow you to do the everyday hard parts about finding a therapist and going to therapy or go on to Amazon.com right now and order a Brene Brown book. I'm sure Brandon can put it in like the links in the show notes or something like that, right? That there can be links where you can order these books that can help you begin to do your inner work. Because when you go to those places, you will find healing. And when you find healing, you get to be a healer in a broken world. And this broken world is desperate for more people who are safe, with their brokenness, and for more people who are calling forth the truth that healing is true and it is real and it is possible. It is possible right here in Nashville. It is possible in a village in Uganda. It is a thing and we get to be a part of it. And you, sweet one, you are not the exception to the rule. You are not the one person who can't be healed. You are not the one person who is just too broken. None of that is true. You too deserve healing because you are loved. It is truer than true. And you are worth loving. Oh my God. I just... Uh, a little bit speechless. I loved that conversation. It was amazing to just get to sit down on my couch with Brandy. That's where we recorded this episode uh, and just have this conversation like friends, uh, catching up and diving into some parts of her story that I didn't really know. And at the very end there, I absolutely just got goosebumps. If you connected with Brandy in this episode and the ideas that we talked about, you should absolutely check out organization beauty for ashes uganda and (laughs) this is a little bit unconventional but you should go and add brandy as a friend on facebook not like her page i mean totally go like her organization's page but you should consider just adding her as a friend on facebook because she's so real and raw and loving and at the same time she's she's fighting for these women in uganda and it's this beautiful Thing to experience and be a part of it. And I love being her friend on Facebook. She gave me permission to say all that, so it won't be creepy. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes for that. You should also absolutely visit beautyforashesuganda.org where you'll see a lot of photos that I shot in Uganda and you can learn more about the important work that they're doing supporting mothers in Uganda. You can and should donate to Beauty for Ashes beautiful work that they do specifically 
you can choose to donate 23 bucks a month to sponsor a mama. Sammy and I have been doing that. Uh, we've been giving monthly since we found out about Beauty for Ashes. And it's amazing. 100% of your donation goes to Uganda. None of it goes to support admin costs here. That's all funded separately. So you can rest assured that you are genuinely supporting mothers in Uganda with your donations. And oh my gosh, it's just wonderful. So I'll put all those links in the show notes. And hey, if you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around, listen to more amazing episodes like this one. If you connected with this one, I think that you'd also love my conversations with Justin Zarati and Becca Stevens. These are both wonderful people who somehow stumbled into running nonprofits and they, they kind of stumbled into them in unique and beautiful ways. And I'm just so inspired by their work. And uh, I think you're really going to like their episodes. And you can find both of these episodes and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you hit subscribe while you're there to keep on getting more inspiring conversations with incredible people delivered straight to your phone while you sleep. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good Good Good, a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio edit and mix the show. You can get lots more helpful stories on social media by following us everywhere at Good 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 CO. Our Instagram is amazing, and you should definitely give us a follow there. Uh, we share so much good news on our feed and in our stories. We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. It's a real-life newspaper, and you can order it today. Uh, you can check that out, and you can also see what else we do. We've got a good newsletter. We've, of course, got this podcast. There's a whole lot more we do, and you can learn more about us at goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and do your inner work this week. Check in with yourself, focus on healing, and we'll be back next week with another inspiring story from an incredible person. Sound good? 